This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. This episode of All Possibilities is powered by Sennheiser, the future of audio. Is the ability to code the skill of the future? And can it also be used to inspire and provide other important life skills and experiences? Coming up, you'll hear from Joe Carano, co-founder and CTO of The Knowledge House, a nonprofit that offers free coding and tech education to low-income people in the South Bronx and New York City area. He reveals a transformation from graffiti artist to inspiring tech teacher, building an organization of important social impact, and why an app for tattoo artists is a surprisingly great example of why all of this matters. Plus, an intuitive reading sheds light on dealing with imperfection and coming out of hiding with a willingness to share one's authentic message. Welcome to the All Possibilities podcast. I'm your host, Julie Chan, intuitive life purpose coach and founder of Being My Purpose. Together, let's embark on a discovery of all possibilities. Joe, it's such a pleasure to have you in the studio today. Uh, Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity, you know to link up and have a conversation. So the Knowledge House, how did you become involved with them? So the, the kind of the birth of the Knowledge House happened in 2013. I was running um, a business incubator in the South Bronx, um, which was uh, sponsored by the EDC. Uh, and My former organization, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so I was running that space. I was managing that space. And um, my co-founder had come in working um, on Reshma Soundjani's uh, public advocacy campaign or public advocate campaign, um, which ended up not going anywhere. But we met through her looking for like a campaign field office space. Um, And, you know, we just got to talking and I realized that like a lot of the ideas that I had been batting around in my head um, just kind of around like how to how do people in like lower income areas in New York specifically, but just in general, um, how could we like get into the economy basically in a way that's like ground up and not just, you know, trying to like fit in somewhere that's not really made or like accommodating or even like welcoming to, you know, diverse talent or any type of talent that's not coming from a specific like source that people are used to. So we were thinking a lot about, I was thinking a lot about that just for myself, also kind of like running the incubator. What I realized was like, we were, you know, we're located in Hunts Point in the South Bronx and there was a ton of people who had great ideas, but there's no talent infrastructure for implementing on those ideas unless they want to like outsource to India or outsource to Ukraine um, or one of the countries where a lot of like technology development gets outsourced to, um, which has a lot of drawbacks, um, you know, so like. I was kind of like batting around that problem. Uh, my co-founder comes from a community organizing and like ed reform background. So she kind of, she was part of the first KIPP uh, or like one of the first KIPP cohorts. Yeah, KIPP which is a charter school in the, uh, and they were like, their, one of their first locations was in the Bronx. So she was part of that. Like she went to middle school there basically. And she had always been kind of in the ed reform network. Um, but she, you know, she having gone through the experience felt that there was a lot of issues with, 
the way that charter schools were set up, um, specifically around the way that they engaged in the community, kind of like, and like some of the more co- the cultural things and the focus on just getting you to college and not really caring, you know, not, I don't say not really caring, but not really tracking or really being too concerned with what happens after you get to college, you know, which leads to a humongous dropout rate. Um, so, you know, we were kind of looking at a similar thing. So she was looking at the problem like, all right, public school education is trash in a lot of ways, especially in lower income communities. Charter schools are okay, but they have a lot of problems too. There's no real avenue for people, and, and they're super focused on college. And, you know, as you know, college is tied to debt and to a lot of other issues that especially lower income people, it makes it very hard to like sustain in a, in an education. Um, so coming from those two angles, I was coming from the angle of like, all right, I had gone to Baruch, which is a CUNY, a uh, city, uh, city university in New York. And I, you know, I, I had enjoyed the experience. It exposed me to a lot of stuff, but like, I didn't really feel like it was going to make me any money coming out of school and like being, you know, someone with no money. That was like, a, you know, pretty big priority for me. So, um, I taught, started teaching myself computer programming off of YouTube and like blogs and stuff when I got out of school. So you and, didn't study it when you were in no, school? I studied business in school. Okay. Yeah. So I took a, a computer science class. It was like the most rudimentary one. And it wasn't like, you didn't learn how to code or anything. It was more like just how computers work like what information systems are and stuff like that. Um, but I was kind of like, damn, well, I wish I actually learned this in school or like le- even learned this on my own while I was in school instead of, uh, you know, wasting so much time. Um, what, was and- the, what was the moment when you realized I really want to start learning how to code? How did you what? even oh, know so, about it? And Yeah, so it's actually a really funny story. Um, a friend of mine is a, a day trader. So he trades, uh, he usually traded... Um, options for a while um and basically what he told me was you know we got to get into so there was a business plan competition at baruch my my boy got me into it he's like yo listen i got an idea for this application um you know i don't remember the exact details of it this was like a while back but basically he wanted me on board because you know we just had a lot of good conversations around business you know he thought i was a smart person you know i respected his intelligence as well so we were just like all right let's let's group on this and see what we could come up with um so we we ended up applying for this competition and we got disqualified because it was a sentence too long. Like our application was a sentence too long. What? But like, yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> but my, my friend, he he was not very happy about that. So he was like, you know, whatever, we're going to do this anyway. So I was like, all right, cool. I'm down. Like, you know, whatever. Um, But he was like, then he's, he's kind of like a little bit of a paranoid guy and stuff. And he saw the Facebook movie. So for the people, you know, not familiar with the Facebook movie, basically... Um, Mark Zuckerberg was hired by the Winklevoss twins to, I think they're twins anyway, but they, he was hired by them to build out their app. And he just kind of like took the idea and made a better app for himself. So my, my my boy seen that and he was like, yo, nah, we're not hiring programmers. They're going to steal our idea. We're going to learn how to program now. Like if you want in, you got to learn how to program. So I was like, you know, I was a little bit intimidated by it. I always liked computers. I was always on computers. I used to like do script hacking, but like with other people's scripts as a kid, um, I was big in like, you know, like the whole torrent, Napster, that whole wave. I was like on that when I was like nine. So I was like in it, but I wasn't like coding. You know what I mean? Um, So I was like, all right, well, I'm already comfortable with computers. I always thought coding was a lot of math, which is why I tried to avoid it. Um, But, you know, I ended up jumping into it. And for the first year, it was really because my friend wanted me to get involved in it. He was kind of programming C at the time. But like, he's not a teacher. He's not he have the patience to teach, I think. So like, I would just have to do it on my own. And for the first year, I was just banging my head against the wall, just, like, trying to even figure out what I was doing. I was, like, copying and pasting stuff, retyping other people's code, and just, like, 
So basically just, just flying blind. You're just playing around with it. It wasn't like a here's a you know I don't know coding for dummies or something. It's step like by a step. lot of those. There were books, um, and I read like a thousand pages of a, a book on Python, the programming language Python, and like. It was cool. Like, I learned the basic parts, but it's like you don't learn how to build anything. And it's like me, I am I like learning by doing, and it's hard to do when you don't know what you're doing. You know what I mean? So, um, essentially, I kind of, you know, spent a lot of time just banging my head against the wall on it. And then, you know, it kind of started to click, but I wasn't really ready to do anything professionally yet. I was just playing with it. Um, so, my whole thing was like, yo, as my skill set got be better and I saw the monetary value of the skill set, I'm like, there's no reason we shouldn't be doing this. Like all the people out here, meaning, you know, the, the community I was working in, which is you know, Hunts Point or just the South Bronx in general. Um, everybody out there is, has access to their phone. They have access to information. They have a lot of time, but they don't have his money. So it's like, you know, it makes sense that certain people want to go to college and, you know, there should be a pathway for that. But like for the people who don't want to go to college, there needs to be something. Like, you can't just write off an entire giant segment of the population. So I started batting around the idea of, like, all right, well, what if there was a way to get people, because all this stuff is free online anyway. What if there was a way to get people to actually just use just use their time, which they have an abundance of, because they're not really doing anything, to do that, you know? Um, but I didn't have the community organizing background. I'm not really, like, a very, like, I'm trying to be a little bit more out there now, but I'm not really, like, a public person like that. So... You know, linking up with my co-founder, her whole vision of like an alternate education system kind of paired well with what I was already thinking. Uh, and we kind of started doing small scale workshops um, in a community center called The Point in, in um, Hunts Point in the Bronx. Free workshops just for like uh, 16 to 24 year olds who were interested in learning the basics of like the HTML, CSS, like simple stuff. And just exposure to technology. Um, at that point, I was already full stack. And you know, like that, that was like, so I started learning in 2011. This is like 20. 14 we piloted our first class in 2014 so essentially we kind of just ran from there and it's like you know shouts to my my co-founder Geraldyn uh, Rodriguez you know without her none of this would be possible obviously and you know all the structure and like forming partnerships with the city allowed us to go from just being like a small workshop that was just running in you know the hood basically to being like we're doing stuff with the DOE and this is like the second year we were operating we're doing stuff with the DOE we're still a three-person team um, but we were doing a ton of different things all over the city. We were doing stuff in Queens. We were doing stuff in Staten Island. I had my teachers take, like, the person that we had teaching. Um, she was taking a boat every day. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> but, like, it really, yeah, it really allowed us to expand. Um, and then in 2015, I got involved and started running advanced tracks. Because we had, like, a pretty nice um, uh, alumni network of people who had gone through that intro program that at least kind of knew what programming was at that point. So we've been, uh, so I helped design out an advanced track. Uh, the first one we ran was in um, JavaScript web development. So like Node and Express. And this is like when Node would, like first got popping. So everybody was like on that. So I was like, all right, my whole thing is we're always the last ones to learn everything. So how about we be the first ones to learn something? <laughs> you know what I mean? Basically. So I was just researched like the newest tech and I started doing little classes on us. We had, we had classes on Unity. So we had people doing video game development with Unity. We had, um, like I said, we had the the JavaScript class. I did a, da a data science class in Python after that. Um, and that kind of let us build up our skill set. And we started doing much heavier duty classes. Um, and then we started integrating career stuff. And, you know, uh, we got a, in 2016, we got a contract with the city doing pre-training for the Tech Talent Pipeline uh, initiative. And that contract allowed us to expand. So we were three people. And now our team, full-time, part-time together is like 24, 25 people. 
um, and we're running the city programs. We're doing a hundred. We're doing four twenty-five person cohorts this year. Um, that's the intro program. We have our own in-house intro programs, and then in the fall, we're launching um, a uh, software, a Java software development, which is aimed at getting people like fintech jobs. Um, we're launching a uh, data science. Uh, we're relaunching data science in Python with Python, but we're um, incorporating statistical analysis and machine learning into it. Um, we're and then uh, we're doing um, a UI UX design and research course, um, which is paired with Hostos Community College in the Bronx, and a project management certification course. So it's kind of like I'm putting all the pieces together to build products because I come from like the product space. I used to run an incubator, um, and like my whole thing was like, all right, well, there's a lot of people with good ideas. I got good ideas. Two, my alumni have good ideas. Like, how do we put all the pieces together so that they got within their network? Because like, really, network is the most important thing in my opinion. And it's like within their network now, it's like, oh, I know someone who does project management. Oh, I know someone who does. You know what I mean? D3 data visualization. Oh, I know someone who does blockchain, who writes Ethereum contracts because they do. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like we're kind of creating that infrastructure that I want to see a lot of interesting thing comes out, things come out of. Um, so that's kind of what created the entire thing, basically. That's fantastic. And, yeah, and all our stuff is free. So we don't try. And it's anymore. all free. Yeah, it's wow. all free. Wow. We, we're grant funded and we're revenue funded. We're 50 50, basically. Wow. That's very impressive. Thank you. You're, it sounds to me like you're you're building the toolkit for mm-hmm. people, the community, to create their own ideas. And, and that's the most empowering thing ever. I mean, we see what technology can do nowadays. And the barrier to entry is so low now mm-hmm. that you're able to learn with these free tools. And and you're right. The network is the most important. If you you know, when I was working for the city and we were looking at talent, talent meaning you know the people who are uh, who are going to be taking these jobs, who who you want to attract. You know, companies mm-hmm. spend tons of money on how can you attract the best talent, and if they don't exist here versus Silicon Valley or something mm-hmm. like that, then then the companies are just not going to do as well. So that's that's great that you're looking at. Um, this particular population. I'm certainly also thinking of it both ways as well. So like getting people placed in existing technology organizations or in technology roles in companies is like, I guess the short term goal, the long term goal is for them to start their own. Mm -hmm. Because like ultimately, like they have the ideas and they have the skill set and they have a network. And really, they're missing some pieces that I'm putting together right now on a, another project um, to basically help produce products that they own. But um, but the short but the short term to medium term goal is really job placement in these industries, because ultimately, even that you're going to be able to learn um, the what's the word I'm looking for. It's like you're able to learn the way that these larger organizations operate, how they scale. You know what I mean? You're able to g- gain business intelligence by working in them. Um, so even if your goal isn't to be like high up in Google at some point, maybe you just want to work in Google to see how Google operates, take a couple lessons and leave and start your own thing. You know what I mean? I want to be able to empower them to do that as well. Cause ultimately we got to do for ourselves as well. I feel like, you know, um, but you know, it works both ways. And I think that there's a lot of people we, you know, we've placed people at Viacom. We have people on the board of ed doing development work. Um, you know, students that, you know, so we, the developer that we just, Recently got hired by the Board of Ed as a front-end developer. Like, she was working in a Cohen's Optical before that, mm. you know? So it's, like, really taking people with no experience and putting them, you know, where they're trying to go. 
I want to understand uh, the students you work with a mm-hmm. little bit more. Kind of set the the context for this. So, so I come from a low income background, mm-hmm. but you know, I think everyone's different. Yeah. Who who are these people? Like, help us understand um, what what challenges they're facing among all the other things. Yeah. Like, what challenges are they facing, and why is this so amazing? I feel like for the, for people to learn a new skill that mm-hmm. can skyrocket their income potential um i mean so i would say that like it's all low-income people from new york city that's our target population you have to make less than fifty thousand dollars a year household but like i'd say there's like three part three types prototypes i guess you could say there are creatives and some of the my my most talented developers are like really creative i actually have an artistic background as well so i connect really well with with them um but they're really focused on doing cool stuff like they're doing games they're doing data viz they're doing just random stuff that just hacking other systems like hacking instagram um you know they're just interested in like playing with the tech and like just making interesting stuff with it doing some new stuff that no one's done before stuff like that so like i have one student in particular that he's crazy about ar vr he's always making ar projects um, he created a. He has like a tattoo on his forearm. He created an AR application that trig- is triggered by the tattoo and does like a 3D animation for no reason. <laughs> basically, he just wanted to do it. So like AR being a, augmented, uh, augmented reality. reality. So it's basically um, having something on your phone triggered by like a physical pattern in the world that the camera sees. Um, so you know he's. So I have like those type of students, and I have like the real computer tech, like the hackers, and they're like they're knowing all the new frameworks. They're knowing about like the most efficient way to do things. They're building infrastructure for themselves to build more things faster, stuff like that. Um, And then you got the hustlers. Those are the ones that are just like, yo, this is the way I can make money. Like, I'm going to be able to get money with this. I'm going to be able to build my own products with this. And it's like, it's a great little network because what ends up happening is if you're trying to build a business, you need the business-minded person. You need the the super tech-savvy person. And you need someone to make it usable, to to make it cool. You know what I mean? And all the kind of pieces are there. And we're actually instituting the the education to get people, the people who are kind of naturally good at those things, a pathway to get better at the things that they're naturally good at, essentially, inside of, inside of that ecosystem. Um, So, yeah, those would be like the three, you know, all low income. Um, They face a lot of the same challenges. Like a lot of them don't have stable home situations. A lot of them don't have access to laptops. We open up our office. We have a, we work in a, the incubator that I used to run. We actually work out of it. Um, And so... We keep our space open. I got students working on their in in our office all the time. Um, I think it's good to get them in that environment. Um, you know, we're the biggest organization in the co working space, so we kind of we're kind of able to do what we want. To a and what are extent. the ages of the students? Again? So it Is depends. It? Um, our so we do high school programs. Mm-hmm. The high school students don't work out of our office, though, obviously, for, you know, because they're underage and stuff. But like, um, so we have a bunch of high school programs. We're running uh one middle school program right now, which we've done two in our history. Uh, and then, but that's like our e-tech are, are like, like, uh, what should I put it? It's like an exploratory program. It's not really aimed at like getting a job, obviously, cause they're children, you know, but, um, we have, uh, most of our intro students are 16 to 24. The bulk of them being between like 18 and 24. I'd say like the majority of our students are like 18 to 24. And then we have an advanced program, um, that is 18 to like 30, 35. Uh, and, um, I'd say the majority of the students are in their early 20s for the most part. I would say like the ones that are career bound, you know. So like that that would be like the demographic. I mean, it's mostly, you know, black and Latino people. We have Asian people as well. You know, we had a 
um, a couple of white people as well. You know, so it's like every, you know, it's not like race specific or ethnicity specific or anything like that. It's really just about being broke, essentially. If you're broke mm-hmm. and smart, I'm looking for you, basically. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good... Uh... I think it it makes a lot of sense from the corporate standpoint, too, because there's a lot of initiatives around diversity and Mm -hmm. getting people from different backgrounds, different ideas and different perspectives uh, to to be involved. And how can you do that unless Mm -hmm. they have the skills? And the thing is, I think the diversity conversation often gets confused because I feel like a lot of corporate people, corporate um, diversity initiatives are like, all right, how are we going to get more diverse? Okay, we're going to go to Stanford and we're going to hire the top women in the class and we're going to hire the top like African-American people in the class. And that's how we're going to get diverse. And it's like, that's, you know, that's good, but that's not diversity of life experience necessarily. You know, you know, the people who end up in these places, a lot of times will come from the same background just because someone's um, black or a woman doesn't mean they didn't come up in a, you know, an environment that has some like benefits or like just has a certain lifestyle associated with it and a different, a certain mindset associated with it. Um, if you really want diversity, you need to get diversity of background. You need to get diversity of lifestyle. You need to get diversity of life experience. And that means that, like, you can't just go to Ivy League schools. You got to go to, you know, you got to go to the CUNYs. You got to go to people who don't even have a degree if they have the right, you know, the right um, portfolio and the right experience and, like, a track record. You know, you have to look for real diversity. You got to look everywhere because otherwise it's not real diversity, you know, in my opinion anyway. But, we're you know, we're very big on that, especially because... A lot of our students, um, some of them have college experience, but most of them that went to college dropped out for financial reasons a lot of the times. Mm-hmm. Life experiences, diversity and life experiences. Yeah. I like that. Coming up, you'll hear from Joe about resilience, and you'll also hear an intuitive reading that I'll be sharing with him. Do you have a story or a comment you'd like to share? I'd love to hear from you. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at All Possible Show. You can also connect with me directly at my own website, beingmypurpose.com. Greetings, Mouth Media Network listener. My name is Davin Riley, and I'm willing to bet you like music. And even if my assumption is wrong, I still think you should come and check out our show, The Music Lover Podcast, where we sit down with entrepreneurs, pioneers, artists, and the unsung heroes of the music industry. Together, we'll uncover the insider perspectives on some of your favorite companies and artists as we analyze music business trends through a technological lens. Find us at The Music Lover Podcast. But remember, that's Music Lover without the vowels. M-S-C-L-V-R. Yes. We're that cool. And since you're cool too, we should be friends. The Music Lover Podcast. We'll see you there. Joe, you talked about how these students have very different life experiences. They may come from broken homes. They may not have all the resources like the laptops. And, you know, there's a whole host of reasons that could really impact someone's mindset. And I think that mindset in terms of, you know, given all these challenges, not letting it really 
keep you down, but seeing what's possible mm-hmm. and sort of the the title of this show, all possibilities. You know, what's possible for for me as a student? What's possible even if I'm you know in Hunts Point and I don't feel like I'm connected to any of the potential job opportunities, or I don't feel like I can create a business that's successful. Uh, what is the what is the mindset like for the students that you've worked with, mm-hmm. and how does resilience play a role? Um, I think that the resilience is already there in a lot of ways. I mean, to survive in these in a lot of these neighborhoods, you kind of have to be resilient. It's just like a a mechanism for like surviving day to day, um, and you know. Immigrant families, you know, just people coming from, you know, generational poverty. Like you have um, like these these tricks that you have just in your memory that that kind of or in your like your your parents pass it down, like ways to like stretch money, ways to, you know, do things to, to survive, essentially. And so like things being hard is not new for them. It's, it's the what, you know, being able to apply yourself to something that's technically challenging can be daunting, but I think it's less about them not being or needing to learn resiliency because the resiliency is already there. I think it's actually more about just like teaching them number one, kind of like deprogramming them a little bit about like, you know, I think, you know, we all come up in a society with certain expectations that if you look a certain way and you talk a certain way, then you're going to be a certain way. You can only do certain things. And I think part of it is just snapping people out of that because it's, it's fake. It's false. It's completely like false. So, you know, you know, I'm an example of that because I'm, I'm, you know, I grew up in like hip hop and I grew up writing graffiti and all that kind of stuff. You know, that's like where I'm coming from. And they know that, you know, um, but I also do all this other stuff. And I think just seeing that, seeing other people like them doing things in this industry or just creating products, seeing going to networking events uh, is big for them because they, they talk to other people and they realize they know more than some of the people at the networking events. Like things like that, just understanding like, yo. Just because I come from a certain place doesn't mean anything, really. It's about what I know, about how I apply what I know. And really honing that in. So I, I think, like, the resiliency is a huge part of it because you this is not an easy thing to do. You need to be willing to work on it. You need to be willing to not only do what we're doing in the class but work on it on your own at home. I have students hit me up at 4 in the morning talking about I'm working on this and it's stuck. Like, how do I get past, you know, X, Y, and Z issues? And, you know, if I'm awake, I try to troubleshoot it with them. <laughs> but, like... So that resiliency, I feel like that's kind of baked into the the community in general. You kind of it kind of has to be for it to even exist. But it's really about taking people, kind of expanding their expectations of what they could do for themselves, kind of de- deprogramming the way that society kind of imprints on them in a lot of ways, in a lot of negative ways. Um, and I think it's just teaching them how to think for themselves. Like all this stuff is tools. Ultimately, my whole thing is I'm not trying to tell anyone to do anything, really. Like, if you're trying to get a job, I'm going to support you on that. You know what I mean? If you want to work for Vice, I'm going to see if I can get you in, you know, see what connections I have that could get you in there. But if you're trying to create your own business, I can help you with that, too. Like, ultimately, these are tools. Like, technology is a tool, a tool set or a set of, you know. So, like, it's really about, like, learn how to think. Learn how to think about problems. And the funny thing is you you teach that skill in the context of solving some problem with technology, building a site that does something, building an app that, that does something. But it extends further than that because now they're thinking logically about their lives. They're thinking logically about decisions that they're making. They're thinking logically or they're at least thinking thoroughly about like society in general and what 
the society what society is where you where they live at you know what i mean and i think that a lot of the the you know the intentional or unintentional systems that keep people where they're at depend on you not really thinking too much about it you know so i think that um this skill set by the nature of what it is because it's mental work it's mental creative work teaches you how to see through problems to what the root cause of things are how to like troubleshoot things really and anyone you know who has a development background can tell you like when you're troubleshooting you're really just trying to find the thing you're just going from problem to problem to problem until you find the root cause of all the problems and then you solve that and then you you know your system's good to go and you need a lot of patience yeah but actually they i, I enjoy it a lot personally <laughs> you know it's like it's like an itch you can't scratch until you finally uh, able to scratch it you know what it's i like mean detective work maybe yeah exactly Yep. But yeah, so that I mean that's what I, how I feel resiliency would affect or like the I actually think it puts my competitive advantage in in another way because I feel like a lot of individuals co- who come out of more privileged backgrounds and and not just like ethnic, you know, race race privilege or white privilege or anything like that, you know, that's part of it too, but like just, you know, coming from a family that 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 is like there's a way to do things and, you know, stressing education because a lot of my students don't have, fam- you know, I, I can't speak for all of them, obviously, but like it's not as like it hasn't happened generally generationally. So it's like there's less of a of like an impetus on it in, in a lot of cases um, just to see like, oh, all this information is useful. Like I'm not just sitting in a classroom and just standing and staring at a wall while someone talks to me for no reason. Like there's a reason I'm doing all these things. Um, and I think that the, already the resiliency being there puts them at an advantage because I don't think, I think they're able, they've survived so much already that like, I don't think there's too much that the, the business world is going to throw at them that they can't survive also. And just quickly before we go into the reading, mm-hmm. what are some maybe apps or business ideas that have already come out of these students mm-hmm. or or that you've already seen that stem from this diversity of life experiences like what what are the types of things that's not just another social yeah. media company yeah, yeah, yeah. you know etc cetera, etc cetera, that can come out okay i'll give you one that actually just la- or should be launching in the app store v- relatively soon um so i have a student who's the one that's actually working for the doe um, she founded a company called um, uh, Tattoo Unite, which is basically so it allows um, tattoo artists to post their art. People follow them, but they could also book the tattoo artist through the app. They could um, send them the artwork they want done, get a quote and pay for it through the app. And my man's the ARVR guy built a AR feature so you can actually get the image that you want and put it on yourself. So the tattoo artist is able to give you an accurate like cost uh, estimate. And that's launching or should be launching relatively soon. They actually know people from Black Ink. So I know they're going to kind of link up with them and like do a whole marketing thing. But like, you know, that's like, I don't know if Silicon Valley people are going to be coming up with like tattoo booking apps. You know what I'm saying? That's I have really other cool. ones that are in progress, but I don't really want to talk about because they're in progress. Right. Um, and then another another a smaller version that I could kind of talk about is we had a student that created um, a map that checked heat complaints in different neighborhoods in New York because they don't their building has no heat. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think anybody in Silicon Valley is coming up with that. that. That's not, you know, less of a business play and more of just like a project that they did for themselves. Um, another one was an app called Transanel. I don't I don't think I ever brought it to market, but they did it as a final project for one of our advanced cohorts. And basically the way that that application worked is it. So apparently for um, English as a second language students, 
teachers kind of have to do like these translated like the worksheets they have to translate all the worksheets and then the way they do it is they kind of keep certain like they'll say like all right everything's getting translated except the verbs you know what i mean okay. so it kind of slowly teaches the student right. english um but they're doing that by hand right now so they built an app that used google translates api to actually translate specific types of words and then create the worksheet for the teacher and the reason they knew about it is because the students were, you know, they were English as second language students. And they just had that experience. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that's like another example. Just cool. Off the top of my head. Cool. I like that. I hope Google Translate works really well. I've used it to try to communicate with my dad because my Chinese is not very good. Yeah. So I was trying to <laughs> communicate with him. This is what I'm doing for work. And I think it came out a little funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it does. It does have some bugs. I mean, it translates in every language, so it can't be, you know, you got to take what you can get, I guess, for now. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, I think that's a really good demonstration of the types of companies that come out of having diverse life experiences. Yeah. And, yeah, like no one, one, no one would think about it unless it's a problem they face or they see that opportunity around them. Yeah, no, 100%. So let's shift gears, and we're going to go into a mini intuitive reading that I've already done for you. And I know uh -huh. this is new for you, so I'll explain how it works. Uh -huh. So one of my strongest senses is clear audience, which means clear hearing. And that means that I can receive thought forms. And, and this is coming from something called the Akashic Records. If you imagine a um, kind of a universal source of all knowledge... And it's all in the on the soul level that and kind of like your thoughts, your emotions, things that your soul wants to learn, things that can help your soul move forward in this lifetime. I receive that information and I just am a scribe. I write it down and I share it with people so that it can help them in whatever's going on in their life. Maybe, you know, maybe it's around career or relationships mm -hmm. or um you know, what, whatever it is, I receive that information. And so for these readings, I ask, what is the highest guidance for you at this time? And what that means is, given everything going on in your life, what is the one thing I can share with you that can help you move forward, whatever that may be? So I have it in my phone because I email it to myself. And what will happen is I'll just read it to you verbatim. And... Uh, let me just pull it up here. I'll read it to you verbatim, and as you're listening, just allow yourself to follow the imagery. It can be very visual, mm -hmm. and it can come out as a metaphor because the the spirit realm loves metaphors. It's just so complex and nuanced. And just allow yourself to kind of follow it and see what bubbles up for you. So you might have some thoughts. You might. Or might, you might be reminded of a memory or a story or something in your past or an idea that you might have. And everything's written in third person. So it refers to you as Joe, as he, him, like those types of pronouns. Mm -hmm. And every so often there are words that are in all caps. So that means that they're capitalized. These words are more just more important, more emphasized. And so my visual signal is this. Um, I'll hold my fingers up like this. And for... Um, for audio, I'll be, I'll just say all caps after that particular mm -hmm. word. And so I got maybe three paragraphs. Um, there's an image that I got and there's also an action step. Mm -hmm. And that's really for you to reflect on, you know, allow yourself to take this present moment to actually do something. Okay, any questions? 
because this is this is new for you. So yeah. any questions, fire away before we nah, start. I'm, I, I mean, I'm curious to see what it, hear what it is. Um, I'm wondering what context do you use, or did you is did you just go blind and in, into it? Um, like look at my Instagram. I don't know. Like what, what, what oh, did you gather? To I do this? I what I do is I meditate and then I tune into your name and your email address because that's an identifying factor. So okay. basically, everyone has a their own unique kind of energetic imprint, and meaning. Even if I hadn't spoken to the person or I don't know them, if I have some information, mm -hmm. I can tune in. And then I ask, you know, what is the one thing that I can share with them that will help? Okay. And so, no, I try. Actually, I try not to know anything about people because then that'll make it a little yeah. easier. <laughs> then the conscious part of my brain will be like, oh, oh is this like, like, does this work for them is it accurate and that just confuses me even more got you okay so that's that's how it works okay so for you i asked what is the highest guidance for him at this time and it says for joe it is about grading papers it is like when he was back in school and he feels like he is anticipating what grade he got the teacher starts handing back the exams or assignments, and he starts to feel nervous, comparing himself with the other students and wondering whether other people will know what grade he got. This sense of nervousness in comparison to others is not clear, all caps, to other people. He keeps it hidden because he has an aura of confidence, being trustworthy, and being very strong. But inside, he can revert back to the little boy who's nervous about disappointing, all caps, others, his parents, his ability to be bigger, all caps, and his ability to achieve. It is ironic because he has achieved a lot. And yet he feels he still has to hide the grade that he got from others. It is a side of him that needs to emerge and be looked at. When does he feel like he doesn't have to hide that aspect of him? And so the image that I got is a continuation of this metaphor, this scene. It says, you saw the teacher handing back the exams, calling out each student's name and giving them their assignments back. He dreaded hearing his name being called because then he would face the truth, all caps. The teacher called his name and handed back his exam. He looked at the grade, using his hands to cover up the grade so that others wouldn't see. He saw the red marks and read the comments. He felt like he was sinking and wanted to hide. And so the action step is to notice when he wants to hide and when he feels like his best effort can still be a disappointment, all caps, especially to himself and others who he feels is expecting, all caps, something from him. Know that this is just a vestige of an age from long ago, 
and that he has the ability to show up confidently no matter the grade. So that's the end of the mini reading. I'd love to hear how this resonates, if at all, and what it brings up for you. So thoughts, memories, stories, ideas, whatever bubbles up for you. That's interesting. No, that's that's definitely... I was definitely, especially when I was really young, well, not not so much in high school, in middle school, I was kind of like that. But um, no, I, I, I'm very, it's very interesting because that is very accurate. Um, I am I'm, like very hard on myself when it comes to like output uh, and like getting things done. I feel like I owe a lot of people, you know what I mean? Like, like I owe results to the community I'm serving. Um, and I'm very critical of myself and we're very data and metrics oriented, uh, the organization. So like, I definitely feel like, like I was saying earlier, I'm trying to put myself out there more and stuff, right? <clears throat> not so much because, and I haven't been doing that, not so much because I don't think that what we're doing is effective because the numbers show it, it is. And like just the results, I feel like speak for themselves in a lot of ways. Not that they can't be improved. There's always room for improvement. But um, more so because, like, the same way I was saying, like, you, just because you look and sound a certain way doesn't mean you are a certain way. Like, I'm conscious of that. And, I'm, and I am self-conscious of, um, like, like, I know I need to go that much harder because people are already kind of, I feel like there's certain people who would look at what I'm doing very skeptically anyway. You know what I mean? Not that it matters because we have to do it either way. We don't really have a choice. But like, um, but I could definitely see where that's coming from. I, I feel like putting myself out there more is a risk. And it's like also like I, I, my background, uh, like I, I was an artist for a long time and I was, a, I was a graph artist. I was like out in the street. And it's like a certain thing about even that, like I, I would never do art with my, like no one know, the whole thing is you're anonymous. You feel me? So like, it's like I want to produce a lot, but I don't really need people to know I'm the one producing stuff. If that makes any sense. Um. So even with Knowledge House, it's like, all right, I feel like I do more good in the background sometimes, just because I do have like a certain persona or like personality that might, you know, like once people have sit down and have a conversation with me, I think it's kind of clear what I'm doing. But like, if someone just met me in the street. And talk to me for like five minutes. They might not really understand the like the wave that I'm on, you know. Um, and I think there's a, you know there's some accuracy to what you're saying about like just you know just put it out there because I had you know I kind of always try to run it through somebody else. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, it's it's kind of it's saying look at the areas where you feel like you are hiding. And it's interesting when you when you mention that being a graffiti artist, you are you are hidden. Like yeah. your output is there, but but no one ties it back to you. And that's hopefully. sort of like hopefully <laughs> that's, sort of, that's sort of part part of the yeah. the you know why maybe maybe it's why you do it. Yeah, maybe it's interesting though because um I was talking to a friend of mine literally yesterday, and we had gone so I'm ch- he, uh, my friend does photography. So I'm trying to set him up with a gallery um, thing. And he's like, you know, he's like a friend of mine from the community that I'm living in. You know, I live and work in the same community. So, like, he's from out there. And, like, you know, this is a dude that's not really in the art scene. Like, I got him. Like, he he has a good eye for design. So I kind of helped get him set up to do creative work. 
Um, and he's always like, yo, this is your time. Like, you got to take advantage of this. Like, is he, like this is your, like, now is, this is like, he's very big on the zeitgeist thing. So he's like, yo, the zeitgeist is for you right now. You got to do that. Like, you got to put yourself out. You got, you got to be the person that, like, everybody in the, in the organization knows who I am. But it's like, outside of it, they, people don't for the most part. You know what I mean? And that was, and, and that, I mean, in part, it's like, I feel like my co-founder kind of does that really well. Um, but the other part of it is just like that, not uh, that anonymity. I like having that. I always told my, uh, my my friend, it's like, oh, like, cause he's from that neighborhood. I'm actually from Brooklyn originally, so it's like I don't really know, like, I, I don't have childhood friends where I live. So it's like I could be anonymous when I want to be anonymous, and I'm always like the idea of being a ghost. Like I'm out here, but you don't really see me like that. You know what I mean? So like, or even like my goal for myself, and you know, people in my team know this. Like I'm setting up this infrastructure to create talent and then I'm setting up a separate infrastructure to actually empower them to create their own products and businesses to disrupt the existing system that I feel like is really begrudgingly being forced to make space for us. So I'm like, okay, you could either go along with it or we're going to start competing. And I want to set that whole system up. And then when I'm do that, my goal is to take whatever money I make off the equity of the things that I've created and invested in, liquidate, and then just travel and paint basically after that. So like even the output is like I don't really it's not about me like I I don't really want it to be about me ever really it's really about the community itself you know what I mean and the thing because like I'm really just setting them up to do what they are capable of doing right you know right that's interesting too it's like setting up the system but it's not you know it's not Joe and and this system that will create all this good it's just this needs people. to be there and then then step back yeah it's the people let it go it's really the people I feel like if, if if this is going to work out in a sustainable way, it can't just be about me. It can't just be about uh, Geraldine, my co-founder. It has to be about the whole community, the whole network. And that network needs to, to a certain extent, like we need to, like we're doing more of this, of making the, the alumni aware that you have a network now. Use your network, like put resources into it and take resources out of it. But just aware that it's there for you and be and be self-aware of that. Because when the network becomes self-aware, we're in a situation where, like, now you're able to move without anybody, you know? So that's kind of – but I definitely feel and, – and it's like I know that to do that, I have to be more public now, if that makes any sense. Like, to get – like, this vision that will allow me to disappear, for me to get to that point with feeling good about my karma and what I've done and, like, seeing through to the end what I'm trying to do here, like – for me to do that, I need to be more public now. So that's, you know, that's something I, I, that is the advice that you're giving me and the advice that a lot of other people are giving me too that I really got to take, you know, heed on. Coming up, you'll hear about Joe's goals in terms of what that means. What does being more public mean? Do you remember what we used to say about running? Oh, somebody bigger had to chase you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly, exactly. I'm BJ Smith, and that's exactly how I felt about running most of my life. That was until one fall day in 2011. I was chasing my son in the backyard when... Something had to change. This was the beginning of my journey to becoming a runner. One that would take me from couch to marathon in less than two years. Now I'm setting my sights higher. This is 16 Weeks, a new podcast from Mouth Media Network, following me on my journey to get into shape, 
while keeping up my obligations at work and still being there for my family. And I'm not doing it alone. My name is Keith Smart. I won a silver medal in Beijing. I'm a sport and exercise psychologist at ECU. Coach athletes all over the world. and I'll talk with experts about challenges all runners face, like figuring out how to make time to run, what to eat, and how to train. You got so dehydrated. Your heart rate went up and it felt like you were working so hard. Everything's trainable, whether it's run form, strength. That's all trainable, and so is our thinking. Subscribe now to 16 Weeks on iTunes, Google Play Music, or wherever you find great podcasts. Together, we can do this. First of all, Joe, you're already being public by being on this podcast, and I want to commend you for it because I, I think it is it is you expressing your purpose in a way because I think the universe works in beautiful ways where obviously you're already being public. And now this reading, I feel, is, is letting you see where some of the feelings of being nervous or wanting to hide and be anonymous comes from and it just needs to be looked at because the the other image that I got that I didn't really um, share is this feeling of you know you get the grade back and who cares if it's a bad grade right like there's there's like one way of dealing with it which is which is like covering it up. You know how like kids yeah. are like covering up their grade with their hands so that people can't see like what it is or they like fold the sheet or they like, tuck it into their bag and they hide it and they don't want their parents to see it or something. And there's another way of approaching it, which is just letting it lie flat and being like, oh, yeah, you know, that's that's what it was right now. It doesn't reflect on me. It doesn't mean xyz about my potential or, or what I'm capable of doing. That's just what it is right now. And you can change that. So th those are the two kind of ways of approaching. And and I'd recommend just asking yourself, am I approaching it by hiding and hiding that like what you did? Or am I approaching it by just laying it out into the open, being like, yep, this is this is me. This is it right now. Yeah. Doesn't matter. And and so based on that, I'd like you to reflect on what this may mean for you and what goals might you want to set right now? Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, like we were discussing earlier, just putting myself out in the world. I mean, this is definitely an effort to do that in a lot of ways. Um, and this actually ties back to what challenge that I had faced earlier in, in my like involvement in this whole project, which was like, I was a, we have a teaching team now, but for the first couple of years I was teaching all the advanced stuff was me. I was teaching it all myself. And you know, when you coming from like, like I'm a young person, my students were not that much younger than me. They were like a year or two younger than me, especially at that time I was like 25 doing this stuff. Um, so like I was, I always felt really weird about being a role model or being like a person that people are supposed to like model themselves after. That always freaked me out a little bit, to be honest with you. And it still kind of freaks me out um, because I'm not perfect. And I know I'm not perfect, you know, and I'm very, you know, OK with that, to be honest with you. Some of the things I like best about myself are things that are not perfect things. You know what I mean? But um, but I kind of like have to embrace it at a certain point. And I think it's the same thing externally, because right now what we have is we have a very, a very um, dedicated team. My team is 
old, you know, they're all geniuses. I respect each and every one of them. The alumni are killing it. You know what I mean? But now it's like, how do I spread this message? It just just can't be a small group of people that find out about me personally or find out about us and the the entire organization, the entire network personally. Like, I really need to be out here telling the story to, because like my my co-founder, she's telling the story to businesses. She's telling the story to funders, to foundation people, to education people. But no one's talking to their streets and I need to talk to their streets. And that's essentially what I've realized needs to happen because it can't, like, people need to understand the opportunities available to them, and it and it can't be, and and I'm, I kind of feel like I'm taking it upon myself, and I, you know, I put it on my alums, my alums as well. It's like, yo, if your friends, your friends need to know about this. Like, we need to be out here letting people know about this. Um, and that's really so. Even like me being public, it's like it's all for the goal. At the end of the day, it's not just because I want to do it. It's something that's that. My co-founder kind of forced my hand on, and I realized it's like, you know what I mean? Like, this is something that has to happen. Um, but yeah, it, I just got to, you know, put it out there, warts and all, like who I am and what I, what we're doing. And, you, you know, I think it's something that's different that um, when kind of ref- reflected or communicated the right way to the population, you know, to our population, um, it's, it has the potential to change a lot of things, you know? So that's really what I'm thinking about. I'm really thinking about that. And that's, you know, like, like you know, the example said, it's like, I can't be hiding. You know, we're learning as we go along too. The organization is not perfect or, you know, we're effective, but we could always be more effective. You know what I mean? We still haven't really cracked the nut of getting into large corporations. We have success with a lot of startups and like government, uh, a lot of like gig economy stuff. A lot of our students are making money freelancing, but like even cracking into large organizations, it takes a lot of infrastructure that we're just setting up that we just have the capacity to set up now. You know what I mean? So it's like, there's a lot of room for improvement on, on our end. Um, you know, and there always will be, I feel like no matter, even after we improve all and all the things we want to improve now, there's going to be a new set of challenges that we need to improve on. But that's just the nature of any organization. If you want to remain um, like not just sustainable, but relevant and effective, you need to evolve over time as the problem evolves too. So like, I need to be, you know, be willing to tell people like, listen, we're not perfect. We're working on it. And, you know, um, the students are, you know, talented and, and they're going to continue working on their skills in the same way they grow and we grow in. Um, and me as a person, you know, put myself out there as an example. It's like, listen, I was, you know, in the streets, you know, being crazy when I was a teenager too, but that doesn't mean anything really. You just need to, you know, put your stuff together and figure out how you're going to survive out here. You know? Right. right. I look forward to seeing more of that. And hearing hearing the impact that that's going to have. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. You know, thank you for the opportunity to speak too. You're welcome. And then quickly, if you could put out a wish list into mm-hmm. the universe for the Knowledge House, like you had mentioned connections with corporations, who mm-hmm. who would it be? Um, I would say right now, like, we need, you know, if you're doing creative tech work around technology, you need to be talking to me. People advice, you need to be talking to me. People that do a lot of the, like, Def Jam, media marketing, te- that technology space, you need to be talking to me. People who are doing stuff in fashion tech need to be talking to me. Um, anyone who around data science, anyone who's doing interesting things with data science, blockchain, my students are all heavy duty on blockchain right now. Y'all need to be talking to me because I have talent that is going to come at th- problems in a different way than I think anybody else would. Um, and come up with ideas that I don't think even, you know, not saying that they're, you know, more smart or less smart than people coming out of Stanford or MIT. They're just different. 
And I think what people, if we really want to do this diversity thing, you need different. So definitely him. Uh, we have um, our website, uh, theknowledgehouse.org, um, the Get Involved page. Go on there. We have a, an intake process for volunteers. If anybody wants to volunteer, we have a ton of different opportunities for that. Anything from, you know, high touch stuff like coming in and doing a workshop, interviewing the students, doing mock interviews, doing mock technical interviews, um, to something really even less than that, to just like hit, you know, come through and speak at a one time event or to, um, to review our curriculum, like we'll send you our curriculum and you give us your thoughts on it. If you're, you know, someone who's technical, technically inclined, um, you know, so we're looking for that. We're looking for um, sponsors for events. We're doing, we're trying to do more public events to raise awareness of what we're doing. So if anyone wanted to get involved in that way, we're definitely, we definitely have the infrastructure to take people in now, thankfully. So that's definitely our website, knowledgehouse.org slash get involved. Um, and I guess my biggest wish for the organization because we have a plan for the industry stuff and that's being put into place. Really it's about awareness in the community that this is, and for people in the street to not just be like, Oh, this computer thing, like I'm not, that's not for me. Like don't, don't just assume something's not for you. Like try it. You know what I mean? Like go out there and understand that like, yo, this is, this is the same way that the, like the same way people were using stereo equipment to create a culture in an industry in the seventies in the Bronx, we could do the same thing right now on steroids actually. And I think that like the more I could be out there to let people know about that, the more I could point people in the right direction. Like that's really my wish is for this to be something that people like the same way people always say like, Oh, everybody from the hood is like trying to be a, a, a entertainer or a athlete. It's like, like I'm trying to add more options and they're out there. So I want people to know about it. Basically. Yeah. Awesome. There are so many different ways to get involved and there's going to be a huge impact on that. We, I think at this point, we don't even understand what kind of impact that could look like. It could be, you know, on an individual level or, you know, a new app company, who knows mm -hmm. what that will do. So reach out to Joe. Um, any final thought for, for people out there who are thinking, you know what, maybe, maybe coding is for me. Um, I think that you don't know until you try something to get, put your, you know, to get your hands dirty. Don't be afraid because it looks hard or it looks, you know, kind of, um, weird or, you know, meet the people like, oh, it's the matrix. You're looking at the matrix or whatever. Um, don't, it's not, it's not all math. So don't be afraid about, you know, cause that's what kept me out of it. I was like, oh, it's math. I don't want to do all this math. Like just, you know, be aware that like the same way that people created Instagram or any of these companies that got bought up for its obscene amount of money, like you, the same tools that they use to create that you have in your house or you have on your phone. And it's just about taking yourself out of that bubble. In, like, cause I was in the bubble too when I was younger of like, there's like five things that I could do to make money. It's like, no, nah, actually there's like a million things you could do to make money. And maybe it isn't tech. Maybe, you know, maybe tech isn't for everybody. Maybe it's the business side of things. Maybe it's the design side of things. Maybe it's, you know, whatever. It could be street team stuff. It could be anything. But but don't limit yourself and see what's out there and experience different things and, and you know, make it happen, whatever works for you. Yeah. Great advice. And actually something that I want to leave you with is – where are you hiding and how can you take yourself out of that little bubble and be more public? <laughs> I'm hiding in Hunts Point 
because I work two blocks from my office. So I'm always in the same four block area. <laughs> basically. <laughs> um but uh yeah, I guess I'm hiding behind like the people the the more polished members of my organization, I would say, to a certain extent. Um and just uh, you know, I gotta put myself out there more, I guess. Awesome. Yeah. I think you need to and I think everyone else needs to too. There's something that they have to share with the world that that they've kept themselves from sharing, myself included. Mm -hmm. So, well, Joe gave us a lot of really good insight in terms of how you can be hiding. It could be geographically, like hiding in one kind of area, one uh, four block radius, or it could be, you know, sharing the message in a, on a larger scale. And so for you, reflect on where you are hiding and what more you can do in the next week so that you can get your message out there as well. Until next time, be on the lookout for all possibilities. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at All Possible Show. Episodes are available on iTunes, Google Play, and our website, allpossibilitiesshow.com. This show is produced by Mouth Media Network, copyright 2017, all rights reserved. No portion of the show may be distributed or published without the expressed written permission of the producers. Thank you for joining us. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.